All right, you know what that means. You are listening to The Mystery of Parenthood. We ask that you would slow down and um, and take a listen. Uh, I think we have a great show today, but as we always uh, do, we'll begin with our prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord God, from you every family in heaven and on earth takes its name. Father, you are love and life. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, born of woman, and through the Holy Spirit, the fountain of divine charity, grant that every family on earth may become for each successive generation a true shrine of life and love. Grant that your grace may guide the thoughts and actions of husbands and wives for the good of their families and of all the families in the world. Grant that the young may find in the family solid support for their human dignity and for their growth in truth and love. Grant that love, strengthened by the grace of the sacrament of marriage, may prove mightier than all the weaknesses and trials through which our family sometimes pass. Through the intercession of the Holy Family of Nazareth, grant that the Church may fruitfully carry out her worldwide mission in the family and through the family. We ask this of you who is life, truth, and love with the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. St. John Paul II, pray for us. Holy Family of Nazareth, pray for us. And St. Francis of Assisi, pray for us. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Nice addition, bro. On hey, uh, a little Francis's Yeah, we're a little, we're, this will be like airing it. a day later, but, uh, like but we're, we have a, a, a gift uh, of a person here today. We're going to talk about... Um, the liturgy, in particular, the Eucharistic prayer, and how that's going um, hopefully, to explain it in a way that would, would allow you as parents to understand more deeply. Vatican II says, what, which is what always what the church wanted, but their their intention is for, particularly the liturgy, for, their, for the people who are there to participate actively, consciously, and fully. And part of that is understanding what's going on. And even further than that, and what we try to do is the application in in terms of how we go to mass, but also how we take that out into the world. What what, what we learned there, and so Thaddeus had um, had sent me a while back a part of the preface to the Eucharistic Prayer Three, mm-hmm. and um, mm-hmm. and then he suggested bringing Adam Brill. Mm-hmm. Um, to the show since he's a liturgist, a trained liturgist, and uh, me and that is are just, you know, here. yeah, we're, we're both uh, <laughs> we're both bowing, you know, bowing down. So, um, but I think I think we're just going to go. We're going to go through. You're just going to. He's that. just going to talk the whole the whole time. time. We're not going to say that. Y'all that listen, what you, <laughs> what's the likelihood of that? Um, nothing. It, uh, anyway, so Adam, say hello to the listener. Yeah, howdy, everybody. Uh, my name is Adam Brill. I am the uh, liturgy director at St. Thomas Aquinas Catholic Parish here in College Station. All right. Well, thank you so much for making time to come. And of course. Thanks for having you're me. you're really busy. And, uh, now, I'm, I first made my acquaintance with you when you were actually with a blaze. So how correct. did you j- briefly just tell us, how did you get to College Station and how did you move from working with a blaze to your current position? Sure. Yeah. Um, so my I was doing my master's degree in liturgy uh, in Chicago at the seminary in Chicago. Uh, that's, uh, the start of my credentials there. Um, as I was finishing up there, my wife and I, my wife, Olivia, uh, knew Are you married. a Chicagoan? No, I'm a DFW. Okay. 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 I can person. remember. Um, uh, we got married while I was up there doing my master's. And, uh, after I finished up, we were looking to the next things, looking to f- future grad school programs for me, a PhD or something, her as well. Uh, on a whim, we both wanted to get back to Texas. So she applied to Texas A&M. Uh, and got accepted because you knew uh, it was the best place on earth. That's why you sure, wanted to get back sure. to Texas. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, so, I mean, both of our families are here in Texas. Right. It's a great state, right? Uh, so we wanted to get back, and uh, she applied to A and M to uh, a very rare degree uh, called nautical archaeology, uh, which is a, essentially she doesn't like when I call it this, but it's underwater treasure hunting. <laughs> <laughs> kind of oh, wow. demeans it yeah. a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but, uh, she, uh, she got in, she got accepted. And so, yeah, she's been down here. She, it's a five-year program for her. We've been here for most three years now. Um, and, uh, we're loving it here. Uh, but when she got accepted, I was like, I don't care what I do. I'll, I'll flip burgers. We have to take this opportunity. Yeah. Cause um, it's one of the best nautical archeology span programs sure. in the world. Maybe for sure. for sure it is. 
Um, there's only three programs in the country, I think, that offer any kind of degree in that field. And then uh, there's a couple abroad European universities that have this field. But uh, it's really specialized here. When the industry was started, they yeah. basically paid for the the founder of that field to move down here and build a program oh, here. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Can, can we talk on that a little bit more before you continue telling your story? Because sure. there's a neat Catholic connection that ended up growing out of Olivia being in the nautical archaeology program. Yeah, yeah. Um, when we moved down here, uh, we didn't know uh, uh, many people and anybody in the program. She didn't know anybody in the field. Uh, and then out of the blue, um, we I get an email that there's someone moving down uh, to to assist at the local parishes, uh, and he was looking for housing and looking for support. Uh, and uh, some of you may know this gentleman. It's uh, Father John McManaman, a Jesuit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, it's a friend of the friend of the station. Yeah, yeah. I listened to the episode that he, the roundup that he did. Oh, great, great. Ago. Yeah, he, did, he was awesome. Yeah, um, which he was in Chicago when we were there, but we never crossed paths. Amazing. Uh, because huh. he was at Loyola and I was at Mundelein, um, and she wasn't in nautical archaeology at the time. Right. Uh, but he was looking for housing and living at the rectories or assisting and stuff like that uh, to do some research and finish up some projects. And uh, when I found that out, that's what he was doing. I was like, well, I have to introduce sure, of course, John. Of course. Um, and now he's he's a mainstay, not just uh, at the local parishes here, uh, but at the university. He's there all the time doing projects and everybody knows him. And mm-hmm. he's he's a great guy. And um, he's he's come in clutch the last few months. Uh, oh, that's so great to with, hear. With all of the, with Olivia and her thesis and everything oh. she was doing. Oh, nice. He was a great support to her. Because uh, uh, not everybody's friendly uh, in this in this town to Catholics mm-hmm. uh, and to Christians uh, and universities in general. That's that's the case. Yep. Um, but Father John, being a Catholic priest, yes, he is. So he's been a huge help to her. Uh, but then he's also been helping us a ton at St. Thomas and stuff like that. Oh, it's so cool. Only having one priest when Father Albert got COVID and was out for a month and a half, almost two months. He was doing oh, okay. most of that. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So you get you get to work closely with him, and yeah. he's a, a friend and oh, yeah. kind of a mentor. Oh, for sure. To your wife, for and sure. that's so beautiful. God's providence at work there. Yeah. Okay, so. You said you would flip burgers, but yeah. is that what you ended up doing? No, I started at a Blaze doing fundraising for Blaze okay. Ministries. Um, you had no fundraising experience. No fundraising <laughs> experience. Um, and uh, that was great. I remember our first coffee together. We were getting to know each other. Yeah. And you said, "Well, I'm the fundraiser for a Blaze. I don't have a degree in that." And I said, "Oh, well, I'm the general manager for right. the radio station. Right. I have a PhD in history." <laughs> and uh, we were fast friends after that. Well, oh, yeah. God doesn't call the equipped. He. Equips the call, yes, right? yes, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, but uh, when I moved down here, uh, we live a couple of blocks from St. Thomas, and so when I went to Mass uh, and saw how Father Albert was celebrating liturgy, um, there's a term that's used in the liturgy f- uh, crowd called Ars Celebrandi, uh, translated roughly, the art of celebrating. Ars Celebrandi, yeah. yeah. Uh, and I could just tell that he had a great Ars Celebrandi that, um, that he definitely has every priest has their own style. Sure. Um, but from my formation, my training, and my view in liturgy, uh, he really had a great perspective on it and an act of celebrating. Uh, so I went to introduce myself to him and just to, to say, like, I, I love how you celebrate liturgy. This is great. Um, uh, we're new to town. Just wanted to introduce myself. Mm-hmm. And Olivia's like, he got a master's degree from the liturgical institute. You need to hire him. <laughs> <laughs> she said that. Yeah. <laughs> Good great. wife. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so she's. Uh, I. I try to be her biggest supporter, and she tries to be mine. And, yeah, obviously. Um, luckily, that worked out well, and uh, over time, Father was able to find a, a role for me at the parish. And bring Can I ask me you on. to press pause again in your story? Sure. You. You mentioned Mundelein. Mm-hmm. Were you there when Bishop Barron was there? I'm sure I've asked I was this not, before. Yeah. Okay. He had already left. He had just left when <sighs> I when I moved up there. Wow. But all of the paraphernalia was there. Everybody's wearing Word on Fire shirts. All the seminarians there yeah. knew him. Um, yeah. Tons of stories. So you were li- you were kind of basking in the afterglow. Yeah. Of, I got of to meet him once. He did stop by really? for a conference. Really? Um, and I got to talk to him for a few minutes. But, oh, wow. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Is is he is he kind of everything you would think that he is? Yeah. Just a good, down-to-earth, chill guy. Oh, that's great. Um, I'm glad, but I'm when glad they're with any bishop, when they're going from thing to thing to thing, you really don't have much opportunity to interact with them. So. Sure. Yeah. That's so neat. Okay, yeah. so you ended up getting um, hired to work at St. Thomas Aquinas as their liturgical 
coordinator. That's your official title. My official title now is liturgical director. Liturgical I was director. coordinator at first and then worked my way up. You worked your way up. Proved my worth. Which involved going to Father Albert and saying, I want to change this to uh, from coordinator to director. No, no, How's no, that no. Sound? no. I wish that was how it went, but no, it was good. And yeah, so I'm, I'm now pretty stable there and uh, been there for a while now. Uh, and I love it. Yeah. Well, we, yeah. we love, we love going to mass over there when we, when we do, we are regular parishioners at St. Mary's, but mm-hmm. when we get a chance to go over to, to St. Thomas, we always enjoy it. a beautiful liturgy. Yes. Yeah. Um, any, any other thoughts? Cause I was going to, no, no, no. A, the, go, the, um, jump right in. It's your show, man. The, if, you, if you remember. <laughs> hey, listen, no. <laughs> it's our show today for sure. Um, no, I, the reason I, that, that I think this is such an important topic and to have somebody with some expertise involved is kind of this bringing together of, you know, what we're praying and understanding what we're praying in the Mass and, and, and then knowing or at least understanding how we bring it out into the world, um, because that's ultimately what the intention is. I mean, um, when I look back and if and just in my studies of early history, the liturgy was the teaching instrument of the church. I mean, it was it was often where people learned more because they listened to the prayers, they understood, they had questions coming from it. Whatever it was, it was a teaching instrument. And I think today, often um, with many, because they may not understand it, it becomes something they just do. Um, kind of ritualistically and and often we get accused as Catholics from yeah. from from our um, Christian brothers mm-hmm. of it being ritualistic in terms of that and there's nothing wrong with ritual <laughs> in right. fact it's, that's the way it's supposed to be but in the sense that they're using it which which effectively means you're just doing something and your heart's not engaged and yeah. and God wants all of us um, all of us meaning our mind our soul our or body and the, and the liturgy is a great, just in the way we celebrate it is a great tool for explaining that we're humans. We're body and soul. We're spirit and matter. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that's what, that's one of the reasons I wanted to study liturgy personally. Um, I took at the university of Dallas classes in historical theology and systematic theology and scripture and all that stuff. (laughs) And, uh, it's uh, it's great for the people who love that stuff, right? Uh, but it's all numinous head stuff. It's right. not practical. Uh, but the liturgy is that theology made practical, right? It, it's it's mm. something every day that you experience. It takes all those the 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 word transubstantiation, hypostatic union, all those fancy terms are contextualized and made made relational in the liturgy, right? Um, so that's why I love it, uh, yeah. and I think it does that really, really well. Yeah, exactly. And that's and that's what I think many people are missing. I mean, not all of us have had the opportunity and you don't necessarily have to have it. I mean, you could study um, the catechism even and, and, and get a good deal of it and ask questions. But but the reality is it's it's not meant for just the, you know, you and I kind of the the nerds and <laughs> in theology. But yeah. I mean, but it's meant for the everyday person. Yeah. And and even properly understood at a basic level is better and less going through the motions than not. You don't have to understand all of it. You know, I always talk about my mother who probably knew more than I thought she did, but, but, but she certainly understand what was going on at the mass. Mm -hmm. And so while she might not be able to, you know, define the hypostatic union or she would know what transubstantiation meant um, to at some level, but I think for all of us, everybody who's going, it's it, it's important to kind of know that and what does that mean for us yeah. as participants, as active participants in the Mass, and what does that mean as we are sent from the Mass out into the world? How does that apply? Yeah, so, you you said act, uh, active multiple times in that quote directly from uh, the Second Vatican Council's documents. Um, it just as a liturgist nerd for a second, um, I like to bring out the actual proper term that was used in Latin. See, good. That's why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's why Trey was smart and had you come on exactly. to the show. Exactly. I need some, you know, defa- defining of terms. Yeah. So, so I mean, the, the council, the paragraph in the council says that the principle, paraphrasing here, obviously, but the principle for reform of the rights that we now use, uh, the primary 
uh, vision to be kept in mind and every action of reforming should be the active participation of the people. But in Latin, that term was not activa, which was, I mean, my wife and Father John can probably talk about this ad nauseum awesome. that I don't know. Isn't that um, a yogurt? I, I <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you yogurt pick it up in your, yeah. by the way, brought to you by. Yeah. <laughs> Proud sponsor of the ministry. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, that word, I mean, you, you can hear the, the cognate there. It's active. Yes. Yes. Uh, they chose the word actuosa. Actual. Lies. Actual okay. participation. Okay. Yeah. It, it's, it's actualizing us. And wow. it's actually being a participant in it rather than someone being distant, someone being separate outside. But it's, that actual participation, like you're saying, is meant to influence us, to influence our lives, and to when we go back to our houses, to our families, and to our workplace, mm-hmm. and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You're so. making me flash back to uh, to my days at the University of Dallas myself. I define your terms. <laughs> so, but that's a great. That is a great distinction. I think that's important to make. That it is we we. It's supposed to help us become who we're made to be. I mean, because of our participation in it. They were actual being actualized. I don't know what, mm-hmm. whether that's proper or not, but, but, um, but well, anyway. well, before we do the, the kind of the deep dive into this topic, could we back out just a little bit and talk to our listeners a little bit, um, Adam, what's the, what's the difference between the, between liturgical denominations and denominations that are not liturgical or what's the significance for how Christians practice if they're coming out of a liturgical um, experience versus some that are not not liturgical and maybe name a name a couple so we're we're a liturgical right faith right yeah um yeah I mean until the 1600s or so it was every Christian exactly. in pro- every religion really you could say uh, was liturgical in some way it's that ritual ritualized worship. Um, is really uh, the best way to to break that down, that uh, the religion has some form of text that has prayers, prescribed prayers, gestures, actions, standing, sitting, kneeling, uh, songs, uh, when to use incense, Smells when and not, bells. exactly, uh, candles, not candles, all that kind of stuff. Sacred space. Sacred architecture, yeah. uh, and then uh, uh, as well, um, vestments, stuff like that, uh, all those kinds of things. Uh, most religions have something like that. And you um, said, what's your kind of general definition of what liturgy is again, did you say? Uh, to distinguish between the domination, denominations, I was using uh, a ritualized worship. Ritualized worship. Yeah. Okay, good. Um, Thank you. Yeah, I think that's that's the easiest way to understand it because it's that there is something prescribed. It, it is a ritual rather than just spontaneous worship. Um, uh, when you when you had uh, the Protestant denominations uh, splinter apart into what we have today, um, many of them as Trey was noting, saw those ritualized prayers as rote uh, actions that have zero uh, meaning to us, that we're not internalizing it, that, um, and in a lot of ways, uh, being anti-Catholic, which you can probably observe in your studies and what you're talking about in mm-hmm. recent podcasts and uh, episodes, that uh, some denominations were acting counter to the Catholic Church, that it, they thought we were doing idolatry, uh, mm-hmm. worshiping this Eucharist or these statues of saints and things like that. Um, rather than worshiping God directly. And it's, so this idea for them, and obviously I'm overgeneralizing all right, right. You're painting with broad brushstrokes. Uh, yeah. um, is that why act through this intermediary when I can go to God directly and I can speak from the heart? Um, and so the, the Catholic Church has never been opposed to spontaneous personal prayer. Uh, if you go to uh, St. Thomas's Adoration Chapel at any time, there's always someone there and they are... Some of them are saying rosaries and other written prayers like that, but oftentimes you'll see tons of people just there having their own personal prayer, no books in front of them, no rosary beads, no nothing, and it's just them and God, right? personal, direct. Uh, And so that's the great thing about the Catholic Church, in my opinion, is that we have all of that, that we have Mm -hmm. these ritualized texts. uh, to uh, Another liturgical term that people will use is corporate, uh, is that we're, we're... worshiping together. It allows us to come together from a variety of backgrounds. Right. Um, and I know you guys have talked about the mystical body of Christ, that we are one body, as St. Paul talks about, that we all have a purpose. But when we're worshiping, if you were to get the three of us in a room right now, we were to say a prayer, um, 
I have plenty of different things to pray about than you guys right now. Right. Um, we're completely different stages of life, right. jobs, occupations, uh, uh, needs. Uh, some of us ate lunch, some of us didn't, things like that. <laughs> <laughs> We've got such different background that we have completely different desires to pray. Um, I like to consider myself an introvert, extreme introvert. So spontaneous prayer to me would be internal, <laughs> but for you guys, it may be external. Uh, so how do we get everyone together with all these different varieties? So the church has these different sins that we need to yeah, atone exactly, for, ask exactly. forgiveness for. Yeah. Right. Uh, how do we get everyone together and on the same page to worship the one God right. together? Right. Um, so that's what the liturgy really is. It's, it's taking a multiplicity of body, a plurality of people, bringing them together into one corporate action of virtualized worship. So that way we can together uh, bring our, our intentions, our offerings, our prayers to the Father. Okay. And what are, what are just a couple of examples of non-liturgical Christian denominations? Just for people's education. Um, that's the different Christian denominations are not necessarily my specialty. Uh, <laughs> okay. But I mean, yeah. you've got all the main, uh, most mainline Protestants. Um, uh, the Bible churches. The Bible churches would not have um, any church that you th- any any church that you think of a praise and worship band. Um, that that's that is their worship service. Uh, th- those are the reality. Um, but another little geeky thing, I'm actually noticing trends among those bands like Hillsong and stuff like that. There's mega churches that have these such uh, large followings. They're actually starting to pull back some of the things from our history, from hmm. the Catholic church. Hmm. Um, like we were just singing a song the other day or somebody showed me a song the other day and it's the creed and they took the creed and they put it to song and it's like, right. yeah, we do that every Sunday. Right. Um, now granted, we don't always sing it, but that actually is an option to sing the creed yeah. at mass. Um, but the church has said that prayer for 2,000 years, whenever it was written, whichever right. creed it was. Whichever creed yeah. you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah. We, know what you're th- we understand right. what you're saying. Um, but a lot of those churches are starting to see that we are essentially, uh, in, in our human nature, we desire ritual. We desire repetition. Uh, it makes it easier in our brain to remember what we're doing or how to do it when it is a repetitive process. Um, I mean, every, this this show you you don't exactly. you start off with the same song every time, right? Right. Why, exactly. Why do we do that? Well, yeah, so yeah. people know what's going on. Exactly. I mean, that, hey, this is the sign that that's what's about to happen. I mean, and it's 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 a sign that you're in the right place, mm-hmm. which that's what that's what liturgy does to us in our yeah. five senses. Yeah, nobody. I mean, I, mean the, I know, I know that I'm worshiping God. And I know that that's what I'm supposed to be doing because I'm in the place where I do it. The sounds are the ones that I hear when I do it. You know that. Well, I think, you know, one of the things that comes to mind for me with regard to, we all like ritual. In fact, if when ritual breaks, so for me, I was born and raised, you, you meet a person, you shake their hands and you look them square in the eye. Mm -hmm. Well, when COVID came and it was like, (laughs) yeah, awkward and everything, it, disturbed me yeah. and it disturbed a lot of people which points to the fact that 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 we we there are, we do like ritual yeah. you know i know my wife and i i mean i like to hear i love you every once in a while yeah. <laughs> you know i mean there's things that are repetitive that if we don't hear them obviously just like we're talking about actualizing it mm-hmm. i mean you don't just want to say the words you want the words to actually not only mean something but that that actually plays itself out in the way you treat your wife or the way you treat your kids. Yeah. But, but just because you say it over and over doesn't mean that it's any less by itself. Mm-hmm. And that's where we got to get away from that. The other thing that I th- that came to mind was the fact that we're incarnational, that we are, we are humans and, and we need sounds. We need reminders. We need, you know, the standing and the kneeling and the sitting and the crossing of ourselves and the getting in a, in a, a line to go receive communion, all, all those type of things are part of what it means to be human. It takes a human body yeah. to do that. And I think that we take seriously that Christ became a hundred percent man, hundred percent God, but a hundred percent man. And, and that he takes seriously often I've said probably more seriously than we do mm. <laughs> our humanity. Yeah. Um, and that's why he assumed it. Um, and so I think that that that's important. And then the last thing, and you can comment on this, I, I remember reading something, and I'm going to butcher this, but John Paul II talking about catechesis with regard to needing to understand what's going on. He talks about in catechesis, you, you can have experience and you can have 
knowledge or an understanding of what's being taught. So it's the what of being taught and then the experience of living out what's being taught. I mean, I I can know that two plus two equals four, Mm -hmm. but until I take two apples and two apples and say, oh, she asked for four, good. (laughs) I've I've got that many in the bag. It's applied. And I think that part of the prayer and so important and it's not a not a negative that the church has the Our Father and the Hail Mary and all these different prayers because we can be certain that what we're praying is in fact accurate as to what we're asking for. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes we can have a, an experience, be excited, and it be based on something that maybe not an accurate understanding of what's going. On. I mean, you, you does that make sense? I mean, that you. Yeah. I, I hope I've made that make sense but but i think it's important that you have it that's why you know john paul ii i think could have been very i still always love watching him but he'd always read his comments directly so you know uh from i mean he would read every word because he wanted to be precise he didn't like to sure. go off the cuff he didn't like to go off the cuff I mean, there might be one there's not <laughs> i didn't never cause any problems but 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 he didn't when he was speaking at his audiences and stuff and so and benedict of course was very much like that i mean noticeably they're reading. Yeah. I mean, and when you saw him, and I've always said it's because he was very concerned to make sure that what he said defined terms, knows what it means, and so that when the people are hearing it, they're hearing it accurately, and there's less potential for confusion. So I think that part of it being a teaching aspect of the church and the liturgy is that, yes, he's reading it, but everything that's written down and is being repeated is important for us to know. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, when we got the new translation of the Roman Missal in 2011, um, there were some people who were frustrated that right. we got the new translation. Uh, there were people who were just saying, oh, they're just trying to get more money to sell more books and more things. We didn't need this. Uh, and then you got people who are like, well, they're just they're just wanting it to to be the exact same as the Latin. And, and like, why do we need that? It's It doesn't fit our everyday conversation. Uh, but there are a lot of things that it just... It was changed for those theological reasons Absolutely. to help us actually to be accurate in our worship, to sure. be more proper and to be more in line. Um, obviously, the biggest example of that being consubstantial, that change right. in the creed. Yeah. That why, well, why did we change that one word, one in being with the Father to consubstantial, that phrase to consubstantial? Well, when they made that phrase in the original creed, it had meaning. I mean, they invented that word pretty much. Right. But it had meaning, clear meaning, that they are of the same substance. God the Father and the Son are both God in one substance. Like, right. there's so much meaning there rather than just in one being. Like, mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. a colloquial phrase that doesn't mean as much. Right. And, and the, another one that I think is important is changing from the seen and the unseen to visible and mm-hmm. invisible. Mm-hmm. Number one, because it moralizes in, in terms of in line with how we would speak about the sacraments and and those as and and then it also reveals the invisible means it's not visible mm-hmm. the unseen could be i'm hiding behind yeah. <laughs> this door right. or whatever could be right. received so it's not as precise yeah. and it's not as accurate yeah. and it does make a difference yeah. um i was very excited about that actually when that happened being the right. nerd that i am right. th- because i was like now you know I've been teaching my kids the definition of a sacrament you got visible and invisible and i'm like okay now when you hear the creed you understand it's the visible and the invisible so so, so we've been talking about liturgy that it's ritual uh, prescribed worship we've talked about that it involves specific liturgical books specific liturgical actions um and so we want those words to be precise and, and they have set meanings and, and definitions. And so I guess that's a good point to kind of jump into the, the heart of this episode, which this all started from a few weeks back. I was in mass and because I had been listening to, uh, I had started one of the classes that you made available to the people who came to the, the dwell event, uh, mm-hmm. but was kicked off by the Matt Marr concert. Mm-hmm. Great job. Great event. Thank you. Thanks for helping us with it. You're, you're welcome. It was awesome. It's the second time we've we've partnered on a liturgical conference, and I hope we we keep that up for sure. Um, well, I had started listening to one of those classes. It was just the introductory class on the liturgy, and the professor had talked about how the that liturgy, the definition he gave was 
that liturgy is the partition, participation of the people of God in the work of God. And then he went on to say how the Father works in the liturgy, how the Son works in the liturgy, and he said how the Holy Spirit works in the liturgy. Mm-hmm. And somehow that must have been rattling around in my head when I was in Mass. And the Eucharistic, the preface to the Eucharistic prayer, the third Eucharistic prayer, just, you know, it came alive in a, in a new way. And I, I don't think that I'm someone who just zones out during mm-hmm. the Eucharistic prayers, um, but it certainly was charged with more meaning. And I'll read, I'll read y'all the preface if you don't, yeah, go ahead. You don't sure. mind it too much. Yeah. <clears throat> you are indeed holy, O Lord, and all you have created rightly gives you praise for through your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, by the power and working of the Holy Spirit. And that was the part that really jumped out at me. Mm-hmm. You give life to all things and make them holy. And you never cease to gather a people to yourself so that from the rising of the sun to its setting, a pure sacrifice may be offered to your name. Therefore, therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you by the same spirit, graciously make holy these gifts we have brought to you for consecration that they may become the body and blood of your son, our Lord Jesus Christ, at whose command we celebrate these mysteries. And so I just pitched to Trey. I said, you know, why don't we do a kind of a deep dive into this part of the prayer? And there's all these terms that have, we we have everyday uses for power and working and sacrifice, consecration, but they have um, even more precise meaning in in the liturgy. And let's let's talk about, what those mean, and we thought, hey, I think we know somebody that can really do a good job. <laughs> to make sure that. we're not winging it too bad. Yeah, which so, happens on this show sometimes. <laughs> so, so maybe, you know, maybe you could start us with um, why do we have Eucharistic prayers? You know, how does that a part of of being a liturgical faith, or and why do they have? What's the what's the purpose of maybe the preface? Wherever you want to kind of sure. jump into that that preface. Sure, <laughs> that um, I just gave. So, well, actually, I'll challenge you a little bit. That the word that you're using there, preface, is improper okay. placement. Good. Um, <laughs> the preface, uh, the proper preface, is what happens right before the holy, holy, the sanctus. Okay. Um, which Eucharistic prayer number one, Eucharistic prayer number three. Ha- there's like sixty prefaces. However, I don't know off the top of my head. Right. There's right. a ton of prefaces that alternate based on seasons, the Sunday, a specific feast, whatnot. Okay. okay. Um, and the two of the other Eucharistic prayers have a specific preface that can only be used for those. Uh, this is uh, really just the introduction, the act of Thanksgiving. Okay. Um, there are other fancy Latin terms. And whatnot, so this but. is actually a, the beginning of the Eucharistic, the third Eucharistic prayer. Yeah, correct. Okay. Correct. Uh, so it, this is different than Eucharistic prayer number one, two, one, two, and four. This is the really particular part right here where you're starting into Eucharistic prayer number three. Okay. Um, and... Yeah, it's as I said, an act of Thanksgiving. That that I think that that phrase really contextualizes what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Um, we often conclude a lot of prayers liturgically and even devotionally uh, with what's called a doxology, right? Uh, where you invoke—that's uh, a fancy term for saying invoking all three persons of the Trinity: uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit—and this really hits that right from the beginning. It's mentioning all three persons. Like you're saying, how how are they active in liturgy? Right, Where right, are right. they? Stuff like that. Uh, it invokes all three persons because the Eucharistic prayer, uh, even though many people do not contextualize this when they're praying, right. it, it's not to us. That's right. <laughs> right. That's right. I was hoping yeah. you were going to bring yeah. that up today. Yeah. Father's not saying the prayer. He's He may be looking at us when he's saying the prayers, but he's not saying them to us. Right. Um, as a, if you go to St. Thomas ever... Uh, Father, at, at the in the church, in the main church, uh, Father Albert has a crucifix on the altar. Mm-hmm. Um, I do as a, at St. Mary's yes, as well. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I, some churches do different pastors, different priests have their own things. So. Uh, but it, Father Albert has that there because he, he knows that he's addressing God in that part of the prayer. Yep. When he's at the chair, he's saying the prayers of the chair. And he's when he's doing the dialogues, he's looking out at everyone. He doesn't have a crucifix in the way blocking the dialogues. But when he's saying the Eucharistic prayer, it's the crucifix right there in front of his face, mm-hmm. calling to mind Christ's offering on the cross and praying to God specifically. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. But this, this, yeah, it starts off with an act of thanksgiving. And can I, can I mm-hmm. just jump in there and say, not only is he, is the priest speaking to God, 
but he's speaking to God for us on right. our behalf, right? right? And that's something that kind of gets lost oh, sometimes for sure. too. For sure. I mean, this whole, it, it, I love that you're wanting to take a look at these words because every word that's said here is meant to be on our behalf. And when we really take that and understand that, the priest really is saying, like, mm-hmm. for me and for them, the, right. these other people over here, for them too. It's mm-hmm. not just about me. Mm-hmm. It's not just about the four or five other altar servers in the sanctuary or whatnot. It's everyone here gathered together. Uh, the the best, Chris Carstens, who was at the Liturgical Institute and was teaching that course. I think he course, was the professor who I, think I was so. listening to. Um, he often says that the best way to participate, uh, which is why I made that distinction between actual and active participation, is to offer yourself on the paten, where yes. the yes. the where the priest is holding the bread and in the chalice to to pour yourself into the chalice, uh, your heart into the chalice, your sins, your pain, your suffering, all of your intentions to to offer them to God. And uh, I'd heard one mystic talk. I'm about, literally getting choked up right now, folks, yeah. listening to Adam talk this Thanks. way. Uh, I heard a mystic one time talk about how it's it's a good practice to actually tell your guardian angel to mm. take all mm, of your sins, good. all of your pain. During the offertory at Mass, which is often called the Catholic intermission, where you're just, <laughs> you're just passing Catholic the basket. Time. Yeah, you're not paying attention. At our parish, all the kids are running up, giving their yeah, offers yeah. to Father Ever, and everybody's watching that. People are trying to find money to yeah. put in the collection basket. Exactly. Right. They're not really offering themselves. Right. But when Father's saying those silent prayers while we're either singing to him or looking at the kids, uh, those offering prayers are meant to to offer all of us, right. all of our prayers, all of our intentions, all of our desires. Uh, in that one mm, sacrifice mm, together. Mm. Um, and so th- that action of, of sending your guardian angel to put them up mm-hmm. at the altar or t- just t- taking your own uh, a-, a second to internally say, like, God, I offer you these things. Um, I'm sure families, that would be. That's so, so yeah, so I, we, I was thinking as you were talking about that, that that was a connection we tried to make with our children, even when they were younger. And, and we've done it where we got permission to do it, but you have to make the connection. So like the kids may or may not have had money. We would talk to, at the time as Father Mike says here, and we'd say, okay, do you mind if we have our kids write down things they want to offer, things that they had done this past week or whatever down and go ahead and put it in the basket. Yeah. And, but then extend it and not just leave it as just that. I'm the, the, when I put that in, I'm, I'm, I'm meant to offer everything in that basket to be brought up and placed on the patent, yeah. that there, that connection, I think, is something that even young, very young people can understand right. to some extent. I think our kids did that. That that was what was happening at the offering. We were we were bringing ourselves. We were putting ourselves that the money or the check or whatever was just an outward sign of our entire self being placed into that basket and then being brought up right. for that. Which you you saw some parishes after a lot of the revisions and changes where. Um, You'd have the kids carry up a ton of different things. You saw it at a ton of Catholic schools where they're they're carrying up uh, backpacks, they're carrying up bikes, they're carrying up all these things up to the altar with that intention in mind, but they took it too far. Right. I think you can. Because all the kids want those things back. (laughs) (laughs) Or or like, where are they going? I don't know. But at the offertory, it's something different where you're offering it to God. And so you can offer any number of things, uh, uh, any any desires, any prayer intentions, any pain and suffering, you can offer to God in that moment because that's what he wants. He, and, he wants us to offer that. Thing. And I love that you mm. said something that I that the first time I ever heard it was from actually Mother Angelico and uh, talking about you place everything there. So it's not like, okay, I'm going to give you all the good stuff, but the sin, sin, my sins and my failings, yeah. I'm going to hold on because they're not worthy of you. No, I mean, God wants it all. Yeah. Up there, I, I usually say I, I say everything, but I often actually point more to our sin and our failings. Yes, because every good thing that we have came from God. Mm-hmm. Right, it, it, He has everything He needs. He, it's all His already. Right, but our sin is ours alone. Oh, that's a good point. And so when we offer that to Him, and yes. we're saying, "I'm sorry for this. Please take my brokenness and my woundedness and my faults." That's actually the one thing we actually can offer. Uh, well, and it's, it's that's so a, much that's more a great point. That is profound. I, that's very profound. I had not thought of that that way. That's excellent. Thank yeah. you for that. Yeah, of course. Um, you're listening to Mystery of Parenthood. We've got a special guest in the studio today, Adam Brill. He's the liturgical coordinator at St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, something else that came to mind when you were talking about the priest praying on our behalf to God 
that's a great connection with the family is to to use that the fact that we as parents we often pray f- for our children pray on our children's behalf we um use we you know we use words or bring up things when we're teaching them how to pray that they wouldn't otherwise know to think about so we're we're already doing that kind of liturgical we're, we're already doing that action in the family as we're forming our children and to make that connection for our families that the priest is doing that same thing for us he's perfecting our our prayers in in a sense and the, and the, the liturgy is doing that for for our individual prayers it's as they're being collectivized as they're being collected yeah, yeah when I, I each night when we pray with my my wife and I pray with our daughter um, we'll all do a generic prayer it's kind of ritualistic in a way that it's uh, we both Olivia and I have it kind of scripted out in our head uh, that it's it's a ritual thing that Ellie gets used to and we say thank you for mm-hmm. mommy and daddy and then Ellie chimes in and she knows when to chime in because it's ritualized that way. Mm. Uh, but then something that I've been doing recently is uh, asking her to give her intentions. She's three. Right. <laughs> so her intentions are for the sky and for this, that, or the other. But when she says those things, I don't just say, sure. Right. And keep going on. It's okay. And you, you I recapitulate it, that, that term that Chris probably used in that class, yes. is, is to sum it up again, to pull it back together and to relate it to the rest of the prayers right. that we've already given or to enflesh it a little bit yes. with words that she didn't know. Yes. Uh, and yeah, that's exactly what the liturgy does. And Father, whoever, the priest at the Mass, being the father of the church that he's leading uh, is doing that as well, is leading that family as well. Um, and yeah, he's taking those prayers and uh, while they are pre-written from someone in Rome, so Father's not making it up, but they're they're done in such a way that they can capitulate all those intentions or prayers and desires and purify them in a sense uh, from uh, misguidedness or uh, misunderstandings in a way that is simpler uh, and that we can all unite together in. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so let me ask you this. I, this is something that somebody else had taught me, and and I think, so I know, like, I'll place myself on the pad and be like in the often when I, when the cup of the chalice I'll I'll place my children their vocations their the future vocations and mm-hmm. I'll and I'll say I want to I want to I want to add those which I know God wants to direct them but but place it on as a parent mm-hmm. on their behalf mm-hmm. hopefully they're doing that as well yeah. but, but for years I've kind of have when when the chalices you know and then there may not be that may not be real good theology to divide those or not but 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 i but what do you think about that about placing like i place my children's vocation their concerns what they're worried yeah. and i'll place it on their on no. their behalf i guess i think that's great i mean i think uh for the theology thing for a second i mean the the priest at the mass the priest who consecrates the species or any even concelebrating priest they have to receive bread that's consecrated at that mass and wine that's consecrated at that mass. Whereas the rest of us can technically just receive communion from the tabernacle if, if they didn't have enough hosts, but the priest for it to be a valid licit mass has to receive the things at that moment and receive them together. If he, if he consecrates one and walks away, that's a grave sin. Gotcha. If he consecrates both and then walks away, that's a grave sin for the priest because he has to, uh, part of a sacrifice and offering in the Jewish covenant and all that kind of context is that you have to consume what is offered. And so the priest has to, as the priest in that action, consume. Uh, but a few seconds before that, like you're talking about, they don't consecrate, the priest doesn't consecrate both the chalice and the bread at the exact same moment. Uh, they're consecrated separately. And then when the uh, doxology that's done right before the memorial acclamation, the, when the priest says the mystery of faith, uh, and then you go through and you get to the great amen, those are two separate species. And if you have a deacon at that mass, the deacon holds up the chalice and the priest holds up the patent separate. Oh. But at the Ejeonu's day, at the behold, the Lamb of God, the priest holds them together. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Because the body, it, it's connecting to uh, the symbolism there, whether intentional or not by the people who put it together. Uh, <laughs> there's some symbolism there that when Christ was offered on the cross right. for us, his body and blood were separated. 
right? That his blood was going Ripped out of apart, his body. Yeah. 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 Yep. Um, you see the images of artwork of angels with chalices underneath uh, the cross right. collecting the blood right. that was flowing out from him. Right. Right. Uh, that it was separated. Uh, yeah. So there is a distinction there that I think is an interesting tie-in. Yeah, I don't know. I just, I mean, it was just somebody told me that, so I just don't. It helps me remember yeah. the. Okay, this is I'm I'm offering, but I think that that's an important thing for parents to remember to be praying for sure and offering that at the mass as well. Well, we only have about seven minutes left. I think we have to have you <laughs> so, back. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that's okay. That's a nice problem to have. Yeah, we'll um, do that as long as we haven't scared you off. Maybe <laughs> maybe the last little bit here um, in the act of Thanksgiving, do you want to kind of come back to that and hit sure. another point? Yeah. Uh, so I think one of the things that in this specific prayer, uh, Eucharistic prayer number three, uh, that is highlighted more so than the other Eucharistic prayers, you were talking about the, the how how different persons of the Trinity are active in the liturgy and presented in liturgy. Uh, I feel like this one actually makes the Holy Spirit even more apparent mm, mm. that that's the reference more uh, because uh, that first prayer that you read the you are indeed till maybe offered to your name that's really the act of thanksgiving because what happens right after that is what's called the epiclesis uh, yes and he I, he talked about epiclesis so right. go ahead and I mean that's a fancy term for the descent and the ascending down of the spirit and at that moment, the ritual gesture, the red lines in the in the book that tells Father what to do, where to hold his hands and whatnot, at that moment, when he gets the epiclesis, it says that the priest holds his hands out over the offerings. It's an invocation of the Spirit. That's uh, it's always been a, a ritualized posture for invoking the Spirit over something. The priest whose hands were anointed at ordination to uh, confect yeah. the sacraments, he's now moved from his hands on the Iran's position up by his side, up by his shoulders uh, to over the gifts because it shifts the focus at this moment. He is praying. Therefore, O Lord, we humbly implore you by the same gift, uh, by the same spirit, graciously make holy these gifts. We have brought to you for consecration. Uh, he, he calls the spirit down mm-hmm. to yeah. make these mm-hmm. gifts holy. And what uh, are these gifts? These gifts are the bread well, and the wine, the bread and the wine. Yeah. Along with all of our intentions. Right. Mm-hmm. Something that I like to do at that moment, uh, most this, this is a devotional practice, obviously, uh, but that's the moment where I like to cross myself mm-hmm. because uh. it's my offering that he's uh. now called the Holy Spirit down over. Mm. Yeah, um, and, and it's it's just a devotional practice. To say like this is me, me trying to offer myself and all my things that I've brought to the Lord that I want Him to consecrate them to make them holy to to take them to Himself and to accept them as a pleasing sacrifice. That's beautiful. Uh, and that's actually the moment where in churches that have them, bells, uh, a server will ring the bells. Um, that's a great, that's a great teaching tool too. Why, yeah. why, you know, to ask your kids why the, right. you know, we, there's always little tests going on when we walk into a church, you know, especially when they were younger, like we would travel and be gone and go to church at different places. And one of them was, okay, first one to find Jesus, you know, make sure to genuinely, well, it, it's harder in some places than others to find out where, where he's located, but, you know, learning that that red, that the red, uh, uh, candle is, yeah. is lit and where is he? You know, he's, well, he's back over there, yeah. but, yeah. but that, those type of things. But another one was when the bells, bells. ring, why are the bells right. ringing? Right. Which, I mean, historically they were rung, uh, probably at their very beginning for good reasons to say, this is, this is spirit coming down. And then it became more of a practical thing. Like, Hey, these people don't understand Latin. They can't hear the priest. Uh, now's the time when something's happening. Everybody look up from your rosary right. or your book or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then now we've gotten to the point where we can actually understand everything. But the Eucharistic prayer, while this one is much shorter than Eucharistic prayer number one, we're human. We wander around. Our minds right. goes other places. We can't focus for an hour straight <laughs> perfectly, even a couple minutes today with how technology's uh, made us so reliant on those things and have such bad attention spans. So those bells are, hey, Something. pay attention. Something's happening. Something awesome is happening here. And, and that's great. Yeah. I mean, that's cool. Yeah. I mean, and that's, again, pointing to our humanity and that we are fallen. We can be yeah. distracted, but also we do have ears to hear. Yeah. And so pay attention. <laughs> yeah. For so sure. anyway, um, as we maybe in, in one minute, what is the significance of the phrase pure sacrifice? Why is this a pure sacrifice or why did they include 
pure to modify the term sacrifice? Sure. Um, the if if you look back at the Jewish covenant, the Old Testament, uh, the Passover offering, the lamb that was slain, uh, it had to be a pure lamb. It had to be spotless without blemish. Mm-hmm. Uh, there could be no problem with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why Christ makes a type of himself, uh, an image of himself that he uh, is is uh, meant to reflect that old covenant. And then when you, you look at, he said it a couple of times, the lamb to be slain. You look at uh, Abraham and Isaac, the, la- the ram that was right. sent down, this marvelous looking from the sky. And then you've got Christ on the cross when he's offered, who does not look like an unblemished sacrifice because he's been beaten and tortured and stuff. They're about to break his legs on the cross and he's already dead. So they don't, but that's to fulfill. It even says in scripture there to fulfill what was said so that no bones would be broken. Mm -hmm. Um, That it was taking something, uh, uh, taking the best. You you think about all of those, the the Cain and Abel, the Old Testament stories, that is taking the best of what we have the best that we can give and giving it to God. Obviously we cannot give him what he actually desires. And that's why Christ had to come, why he had to come and offer himself. Uh, but we offer what we can and we try to give him the best that we can rather than give him just, I mean, giving him a couple dollars and change or giving him this, that or the other, that we're, we do desire to worship God with our whole hearts and give him everything that we can. Okay. I can't wait wow. to have you back on. Yeah. We've got to, we've got to have you back on, but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, we ran out of time. Yeah. Go figure. Yeah. Uh, always remember people, uh, pray, parent with a purpose, and prepare for God to amaze you. He will. Promise. God bless you guys. Pray for us. We'll be praying for you. See ya.